0: I'm gonna be sharing. If you guys have your Bibles, I'm gonna be sharing out of uh, Matthew, chapter four. Um Before I do, I uh, just wanted to, um, I just want to say a couple words on just just being here. Uh, I had spoke with Pastor Rob. He had shared with me uh kind of what had gone on and what you guys are are dealing with as a body. And um yeah, I, I didn't prepare a message to speak to that, you know, but I. I just feel like I want to say a couple things to encourage you guys as a, a body. I, I feel like one of the things that the enemy does or tries to do in moments like this is discourage. You know It's like you know you guys are here, God planted you here, you guys are trying to do a work, and then boom, you know, some uh, there's a tragedy, you know we lost one, and the enemy could just be there saying, "Oh, it's not effective, it's not you guys aren't. And I just would say this, you know, even listening to you know Pastor Ephraim, you know, Pastor Ephraim. Had personally, you know, opportunity to 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 have gospel conversation with this kid, you know, that if this weren't here and he weren't here and he were at some regular school, that wouldn't have been the case, amen. And um and we do hope in that he's heard the gospel. He was in a he was in an environment where other people love the Lord, and so um, as much as it may feel like a discouragement, I hope that you guys will take this and. Uh, that it would spur you on. That it would, as, as it was already said, that this would just further impact your hearts. That we need to be here doing this. Uh, we need to have a gospel-based church planted in this area that is reaching out to those that need to hear what we believe. Amen. And um, and I know that you know hurt is hurt. You know we we hurt, and I, I am praying. I'm gonna pray before I get into the word that God would uh, there's a there's a supernatural comfort that comes from God, and uh, it's not natural. Uh, I haven't in my life. I haven't had a lot of tragedy, but uh, I would just share this with you guys that the our, our part of the story of our church plant that I don't always share because I I don't like to be emotional. But my mother's passing. My mother passed away um, unexpectedly on Super Bowl Sunday, 2010. I know you guys aren't really Super Bowl out here, but back where I'm from, Super Bowl a big deal, you know. And uh, it was Super Bowl Sunday uh, that morning the Lord and His providence had prepared me. I was teaching through the Gospel of John. It just so happened that the morning my mother would die, and she wasn't sick. It wasn't planned. I was preaching out of uh, John's Gospel, the story of Lazarus. And I titled the message because I was ministering to youth, some of which I knew have had their parents pass away. And I, I titled the message, Preparing for Death. And so part of it was gospel-oriented. Part of it was how do we handle death, you know, and how it's an unnatural and an unnormal. It's, it's difficult, you know, and so forth and so on. No idea that I preached the message to kids that was really for me. Because I got home that afternoon and I had friends over and we were getting ready to, you know, get ready for the Super Bowl or whatever. And then my dad called and said, hey, I need you to come to the hotel where your mom was staying. Uh, I think she may have passed away, you know. Um, fast forward, we're preparing my mother's funeral I had been at a church where I wanted to leave to plant a church in Inglewood for 10 years, and it was never a good time to let me go. And my pastor, seeing all these black people in the parking lot of our white church, asked me, he says, you know, where they all, you know, I know you're going to preach the your mom's funeral, you're going to share the gospel. And he asked me, do you still want to plant this church in Inglewood? And I said, I do. And he said, well, if you really believe God's called you to do that, you know, if you take the step of faith to leave your job here, then we'll support you to get going. And so my mom's death was actually the catalyst for at least the pastor where I was saying, hey, we release you to go ahead and plant the church that you want to do. And so one of the things for me, you know, whenever I'm at a Sunday at my church or at the fellowship I'm at, every time I see a person get saved or every time I see someone, it's, it's an encouragement. You know, the Bible says that God is able to bring beauty out of the ashes. Uh, pastor Ephraim and Pastor Rob was sharing how, man, something dies First, the grain has got to die, and then it comes up to bring new life. And my prayer for you guys is that this is tragic, it's difficult, it's painful, and it just is. You know, there isn't, there isn't anything that takes that away, but um, the Lord is able to bring beauty from the ashes. And He's able to bring life out of death. And, um, and I just would say this on the, on, the, on, the, on the way of comfort. Um, when my mom passed, I never had felt that kind of pain, you know, where something hits me that hard. Yeah, I've had, I've had people kind of distant die, but I never had anybody that up close. You know, you only get one mother. And so that pain was, I, hit, I felt it. I mean, I felt, I felt pain. I felt grief. I cried. I called a friend. I said a prayer. And this is what I will tell you guys is people were very nice to me. I'm in a Christian context People said nice things. They gave hugs. They, they, you know, there was nothing that a person ever said that made me feel better. But there was something that God did that brought, God, God met me at that level of grief with that level of comfort. And I will forever be thankful for that, that, that I know that wherever, however deep we go and hurt, the Lord is able to meet us there in comfort. Amen. And so my prayer for those that are hurting deeply today is that God would comfort you deeply today in the way that only He can. And so I'd like to start off and just pray for that, and then we're going to jump into the Word in in Matthew 4. And so, Father in heaven, I thank you for the privilege of being here, even at this time and with all that's going on. God, these are your people, your precious people. God, you love them, and you know what they're going through, uh, what they're feeling, how they've been impacted by this this tragedy. God, I pray as only you can, supernaturally by your Spirit, God, that you would comfort those that are hurting, that, God, you would bring your peace that passes understanding, that you would give them strength to endure this season. And, God, we do look to you. We ask that you would bring beauty from these ashes, that, God, you would bring life from this death, that, God, down the road we would look back to this and just see that you did great things despite this tragic thing. And so, God, we commit that which is out of our hands into your hands, and we ask that you would bless our time in your word, Lord, somehow, in the midst of all the emotions and everything else, I pray you would speak with clarity through your word this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I'll be sharing from Matthew 4. will be looking at verses 1 through 11. And I titled the message this morning, Standing on God's Word or Standing on the Word of God. And we'll look here at uh, the scenario where Jesus himself is tempted, tested of the devil. And I believe we learn a few things. We learn some things about the enemy, uh, his strategies, his tactics, and we'll talk about that. Uh, We learn how to use the Word of God. I think um, a lot of times people know the Word, uh, but we need to know what to do with the Word that it might really help us, that it might be advantageous to us as believers. And so in Matthew 4, starting at verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And for you guys that are familiar with the the layout of the gospel, you know, Jesus had not yet begun his earthly ministry. He had been announced by John the Baptist. He had been baptized by John the Baptist. They had, uh, you know, we had the scenario where the spirit descended, the father spoke, the son was baptized. And just as he's about to kick off into his earthly ministry, he goes through this time, this season of trial Or testing in the wilderness. Uh, The Bible says that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. This was something that the Spirit led him into uh, for this season of testing. And something I want you to note, right? When you look at testing in the Scriptures, um, it could be the same scenario, uh, but two different people have an objective. When there's a testing, this testing right here, God intends this testing to prove Jesus. Satan is going to intend to use this testing to derail him, to take him off course. And many times in our lives, God will allow in his providence, God will allow difficult circumstances, test things that test us. And sometimes the tests are proving us. Some of you guys, maybe as you walk with the Lord and something happens and you, you look at yourself and say, man, if that would have happened back then, I would have did this you know, and you realize I'm, I'm better than I thought. I was. I've i had those moments, you know, as a believer where something jumps off and I think, man, if this was, you know, some years ago, I would have sucked that dude, you know? But today I was like, hey, it's all good, bro. You know what I mean? I, I mean, this, there's been transformation. I'm not the same person I used to be. I've also had times where something happens and I fail. And I thought I, thought I was better than that. I thought I was, I thought I was further along than, than that. And so um, the test can, one of two things, it can either prove me, or it can expose me. Um, Satan wants to use these tests to derail us, to cause us to fall, to cause us to falter. God allows it, and God's intention is that it would prove us. And so um, Jesus is going to be here dealing with the devil himself. Um, Just want to say this, you know, there's only one devil, amen? Amen. Um, one Satan, one devil. Now, there's many demons. A third of the angels that fell with him became demons in the unseen realm. They exist. They're already outnumbered, so we know we got numbers uh, on them, but they're there. And in the unseen realm, they attack. You know, they're, they're li- there's limitations on what they can do in the life of the child of God, but they're there nonetheless. They can attack. They can oppress. They can tempt. They can lie. That's, these, are, these are some of the things that happen in our lives um, through the enemy. Everything that you and I need to be victorious is available to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? And Jesus will give us example here how to put into action, how to put into practice what he makes available that we might walk in victory. And so, um, so Satan comes. Satan's going to come and tempt him. It says he says he was put there for this purpose, to be tempted by the devil. And so verse 2 says, And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterwards he was hungry. Um, now, I don't know how many guys fast. Um, fasting is a biblical principle. It's uh, an expectation that a disciple would have seasons where we fast. Uh, we're not under any kind of legalism or law that says we, when we have to do it or for how long. But, you know, Jesus in Matthew 6, where he's dealing with, you know, three different areas of the life of the disciple, charitable giving, uh, praying, and fasting, each one he says, when, when you pray, when you give. When you fast, and he tells us how not to do it and how to do it. And so there's an expectation Jesus has that believers would do this. Now, I don't know if anybody here has ever fasted 40 days. Um, I've fasted before. I've never fasted 40 days. Y'all looking at me like we know, you know. But uh, uh, it's all right. It's all right. Um, But I'm going to just say if you fast 40 days, right? Your greatest, I mean, after if you fast 40 days, the, the, the easiest temptation at that moment is going to be something to eat. If I fast, you know, four days, you know, you run by with a burger or a sandwich, I'm, I'm going to holler at you, you know. So um, fasting is, it's a spiritual practice. You know, it's a biblical thing. It's something where we, we set aside the plate for the purpose of seeking the Lord in a deeper way. And so it's, 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 it's something we should do. Um, it may bring you to a place of physical weakness, but I mean—but spiritual strength. And so Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was hungry. Obviously he would be. And so here we learn something of the strategy of Satan. Satan hits Jesus where he his, his first temptation is going to hit Jesus at the place where he is the weakest. Um, again, if you fasted 40 days and 40 nights, that would be the place where I'd be the most tempted. And so everybody here needs to know, where you're weak at. Where are your weaknesses? How do you determine where you're weak? Where do you fall? When the last time you fell, where was it? Where do you tend to fall most often? Some of you guys struggle with anger, and you look back over the last month, and that's what you're ashamed of. Like, man, I've had these blowups, and I, I let it go. You need to know where you're weak at so you can begin to seek the Lord for strength in those areas. You can look to the Word in those areas. Everybody here is weak somewhere. Amen? Some things are real visible. Some, some people's weaknesses, they're right on the surface. You can see them. Some of y'all are weak in areas. You sneaky weak, you know? So you weak. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all are weak in ways that everybody here would never know it. We see you like, oh, she's such an awesome sister. He's such a, a wonderful brother. And God is like, mm, that's not what I see, right? Don't forget that you live before him. Don't get good at putting on for these folks. When the Bible says that he has, all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom you must give an account. Amen. And so some people get really good at being good for church, but we need to be good for the Lord. I need to, I need God to look down and approve of me. Amen. And so um, everybody's got their weakness. It's healthy to be aware of where you're weak at, um, so you can you can begin to there there are areas where when I first got saved I, I fall. And I would say, God, I, I keep blowing it here, and I need help. I need instruction. I need insight. And, and God would give me things that would help me out, you know, something that um, I grew up, the way I grew up in the world, uh, never had an issue. Women could scream and yell. I grew up in a house full of women, my mother, and my sister, real mouthy women. And so I don't like it, but I'm, I, could, I could tune it out, you know. But I never had a, I, never been good with guys yelling. And so if a dude, if a male, a man is yelling at me, this is in the world, um, the, what I learned was if, if you yelling, this is the easiest way to shut that off is bow. Now, you know, like now you sock them and boom. Now, nobody's prideful. Nobody's talking with a fist in their face, you know. And so that was my mentality. I get saved, and that's no longer appropriate to do. I can't sock somebody at church. But I had people yell at me, and the Lord showed me this about me because I, I failed a couple times, and I felt bad, and I prayed, and the Lord was like, you're in total control until you open your mouth. And so one thing I just don't do, I don't do verbal altercations with men. I will not argue with a man because I'm in total control. Like this, I'm, I've, I'm under the Spirit's power when my mouth is shut. But if you can get me in the flesh and my mouth gets going, um, that's where I have blown it. And so that was something long ago I realized that's a weakness. And as the Lord you know, revealed that to me, that's like that's a rule for me. So if I get a man going, my wife will tell you, we, we counseled a couple, had a guy in my house, he started getting lost, I said, bro, bring that down, I don't do, don't do yelling. And he brought it back, I said, bro, bring that back down. He brought it back up, I said, let's go to my door. I took him to the door, I said, you got to go. We don't, I'm not because I can't do this, I can't have an arguing match, I'm we'll you in my house, you know, so <laughs> I sent him home. And then I met with him at church the next week, and he understood, bro, I, I just, we can't do the yelling thing. I don't do yelling matches with, with men. You know, there's this, this ends bad for both of us, you know. So um, you need to know where you're weak at, and so you can seek the Lord about, God, what safeguards do I need? Where do I need to die faster so that I don't end up blowing it in an area? And so Jesus here um, is going to be tempted. Look at verse 3. It says, Now when the tempter came, to him. He said, if you are the son of God, command these stones, become bread. Uh, that word if could be translated since. Satan wasn't questioning whether or not Jesus was the son of God. He knew he was. The demons know better than we do sometimes. There ain't no atheist demons. And so he says since, really he's saying since you're the son of God, command these stones, become bread. Something you'll notice in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus never did a miracle for himself. He always, he did miracles, but his miracles were always to benefit others, those that were under, those that were, those that he was ministering to. Jesus never did a selfish miracle. He never just did something so that he could be better off. And so Satan says, hey amen, since you're the son of God, won't you take them stones over there and turn them into bread? Do something for yourself for a change, right? Satan is seeking to derail Jesus. That's not Jesus' agenda. That's not what he came to do. That's not why he's been empowered to do the things that he's come to do. But that's the temptation that Satan hits him with, hits him where he's weak. If you're a note taker, write down 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 10. And and here the apostle Paul struggling himself, recognizing an area of of weakness in his life as he cried out to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 12 uh, says, You know, when Paul prayed that God would take away this thorn in the flesh, and God told him this, he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. And that, that is the position of strength many times for the believer. I'm weak in self, but I'm strong in him. Amen? And so, Jesus is physically weak. Jesus has fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Um, and so, Satan comes and he hits him here at this place of weakness. And Jesus responds from the Word of God, and it gives us an example of how we should respond when temptation comes. And I just wanna say this, just as a kind of a parenthetical, um, ba- just with, with, with everything that's going on here and what you guys are dealing with, you know, Satan, when he comes, there's an agenda. When he, when he does the things that he does, there's always an agenda, there's something behind it, there's something he wants to accomplish. He's tempting Jesus here to derail him every time. And so I want you to note, Satan speaks in the scriptures three times. Every time he speaks, he's trying to bring division. He spoke to Eve in Genesis 3. He lied on God. He said, did God really say you couldn't eat at every tree of the garden? And he's insinuating, that's messed up. Then he just lied on God. God, God you, you, you won't really die like God said. And he jacked up Eve and her relationship with the Lord, and she jacked up her husband. That's another story, you know. So, um, But that, that, was, that was the first time he spoke, lying to man about God. He spoke in the book of Job. And In the book of Job, in the unseen realm, God— Ask Satan, where you been? He said, I've been going to and fro. I'm paraphrasing, you know, but I've been going back and forth to and fro. And God brings up Job. God's bragging on Job. God says, have you considered, have you checked out my servant Job? That There's none like him in all the land, upright, blameless, fears God, shuns evil. And you know what? Satan had checked him out because he gave an answer. Satan says, well, there's a hedge about him and all that he owns on every side. How you know that, devil? Because you checked him out. So Job was in a protected place from from the from the attack of the enemy and you know Satan said this let me take away all that he has and what what was his agenda He says he will curse you to your face and Satan unleashes on Job God says I'll let you touch everything that he has but you can't touch him and he unleashes on this man Job just a diabolical attack and you learn again about the strategy of Satan we know, we learn in Genesis he's a liar we learn in the book of Job that he's relentless Uh, If you go back and read that story, it's Job chapter 1 and chapter 2. First, Job was rich. Right there, back in that era, if you were rich, your richness was shown in your livestock and your animals and all the stuff you had. Satan took away everything that he owned in a day. And it was back to back to back. One guy came and said, Man, I was out there with your camels, and somebody killed all your camels and raided your fields. Man, you broke. And it says, while he was still speaking, another guy came and said, man, I was out there with your oxen, and they got taken and raided, and, and all your servants all alone escaped to tell you. And while, Satan left one person alive every time to come tell the bad news. And then while he was still speaking, another guy came. And then at the final thing, and I want you to know, one of the strategies of Satan is to overwhelm us. Because he came back to, what says, while the guy was still speaking, a guy lined up behind him and says, amen. Because something we learned about Job in chapter 1, that he was really concerned about his kids. He was concerned about how they were doing. It says that he would every day he would offer sacrifices just in case one of them had cursed God in their heart. He was concerned about the spiritual condition of his kids. And one came and said, hey, all your kids were at the eldest brother's house partying. They were eating and drinking. And a wind blew and blew down the four corners of your house. All your kids died. I, st- I, still, I still say that and read that. And it, it, it's like, oh, back to back to back. All your kids. I got four all your kids in one day, it's overwhelming. But Job, Satan's agenda was that he would curse God. He said, why don't you just curse God and die? Somehow Satan got the word, his words in the Job, Miss Job. We don't got her name, praise God. <laughs> but Miss Job comes down and she says, Job, do you still hold fast your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? And you, read, you hear that come out of her mouth and you know it came from Satan because we got the script. And I'm just, I'm, I am just—I won't beat her up, right? She just lost all her kids. She, just, she, was, she was whipped as well. I mean, she lost everything, and all her kids died. And maybe in a moment of weakness, somehow, Satan got his words into her mouth, and she said them to her husband. But you know what Job did? It has to be the biggest in-your-face in the Bible. Because Satan told God, he's going to curse you. But Job fell down, and what did he do? He worshiped. He worshiped. How do you worship at time like that? How do you worship in a moment like that? You just lost everything, everything, and he worshiped. He spoke the words. He said, God, naked I came, naked I'll return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this, he didn't sin with his lips, amen? And I just, I'm I'm sharing that because the temptation, Satan's agenda was, he wanted to wreck this man. He wanted to wreck him, ruin him, and kill him. And all that he did was intended to just wreck him. And Job just, it didn't happen because Job wouldn't. He didn't bend. He worshiped instead of curse God. And if you read the end of the book, you know, you realize that God blessed his ladder better than his beginning. Like God gave Job what money can't buy, extra, extra long life. God replenished all this money. God gave him a bunch of more kids, and God gave him long lives so he can see his kids, 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 kids for three or four generations. And so, you know, God blesses him later. But as Jesus is tempted here, Satan's agenda is to derail him when we get tempted. The, the intention of the enemy is to derail us. And this is how God responds. Jesus responds in verse 4. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall live by bread alone. I'm sorry, man shall not live. by My bad. Man shall not live. by. I'm up here uh, prophesying. Man shall not live <laughs> by bread alone, but. By every word that proceed from the mouth of God. And here's what's important. I don't know if it's like this out here where I'm from. There's a lot of, uh, there's movements in the church where we, we speak the word. We quote the word. We declare the word. You know, and some people think there's a power in speaking the word over your situation. And I'm going to just speak the word over this and say the word. I'm going to just tell you this. The power isn't in speaking the word. It's not that there's, there's, it's great to know it. It's great to speak it. The power is in standing on it, right? Jesus didn't just know the word. He didn't just believe the word. He didn't just quote the word, but he stood on, he obeyed the word that he spoke. That's where the power's at, right? If I stand over, you know, I I did a marriage counseling appointment at one point, and it was a while back. I was younger. The couple was older, and they came, and the guy Right away when he saw me, felt like I was too young to give counsel to him and his wife. So he was already kind of feeling some kind of way about the counseling appointment. We sat down. His wife had called for the appointment, and it was clear that this man was not loving his wife. So we go to, you know, Ephesians 5. And I said, look, brother, this is, this is what Christ commands as a husband, that you would love your wife like Christ. And he finished the verse for me. And, um, and he, said, he said, but if you're just going to tell me what I already know, I know those verses. And he said, if you're just going to tell me what I already know, this is going to be a waste of time. And I said, bro, I said, if you were doing this verse, we wouldn't even be here. We here because you're not doing it, right? So you're knowing it by heart. You being able to finish the quote is irrelevant. This woman feels unloved. So she told, she called and set up an appointment to bring you in so you could hear from somebody else other than her. There's no power in knowing the word if you're not doing the word that you know. Amen? The power comes in standing on it. And, and it gets tested. There are things that we know, but it's when it gets tested that I gotta now i got to stand on that. It's easy to say to somebody else in a difficult time, you know, what the Word says. We know what it says. But it, the challenge becomes when we get tested, when we get challenged. Now I, I know these verses, but now i got to do it, you know. When it's time for me to die to myself, that's when it's difficult. It's easy to tell you. You know, you give me a situation. Oh, you should die to yourself. And that's just way easy. Whew, you know, but when I'm one that needs to die, now I know it. I could tell you, but I need to do it now. And it's difficult. It's difficult adhering to. It's difficult yielding to. But that is where the power is at. That's where victory over the enemy, victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil come when, when the people of God know his word and do it. Right? Eve knew the word, and she spoke the word, but she didn't stand on it. Satan said, you know, did God really say you can't eat of every tree? She said, no, you can't eat of. We eat of all the trees in the garden except for that tree right there. We eat of it, we die. And she added to touch it. And then Satan told her a couple of lies, and she said, hmm, that tree looks desirable for food, good for the eyes, desirable to make one wise. She took the fruit and she ate. She knew what God had said, but she didn't stand on it. And so she was defeated. And then she defeated and defeated, you know, she gave it to her husband who sinned willfully. And so let's look now at the, the next temptation. Um, we'll note every time Jesus responds, he responds in the Word of God. Each of his responses are quotations from a section of Scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And... It's, it's, you know, we read this and think, man, Jesus Christ knew the Word. This is important, right? I need to know the Word. Sometimes I need to know the Word exactly where I struggle. So if you're here, this is your church, you fellowship here, and you may have a weakness in certain areas, you should get with the pastors, get with the elders and say, hey, get, can I have some, do you know some verses on this passage here? Get to know them. Uh, I've learned that, you know, the areas where I'm called to things, I, I want to memorize those verses right? I've been married 21 years. I made it a point. I'm going to memorize all the verses that pertain to my role as a husband because this is going to be the call of God upon my life the rest of my life, you know? I memorize the verses that have to do with me being a father because this is what I'm called to do the rest of my life. I memorize the verses that deal with attitude, deal with anger, deal with alcohol, deal with lust, deal with—because these are all areas that have been battles and struggles over the time of my life. And the Bible says the Spirit will bring the remembrance when you need it you know, the Word of God. But you know what? The Spirit can't bring the remembrance which you haven't remembered. Which you, have, you can't remember what you haven't remembered. amen? So, if you haven't sewn it in here, then you just, you blank. you struggling. you like, I, I know the Word says something about this, you know, but I just don't know what it is. So, it'd be good for you to be acquainted with the truth of God's Word, specifically where you battle, specifically where you have struggles, that, that these can be things that are brought back up to strengthen you in the time when you need it. And so look at verse 5. It says, Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If, which again means since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hand they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And while the first temptation was... Um, tempting Jesus in the area of the, the lust of the, f- the flesh, you know, to get something, some food. This one is dealing with the, the pride of life. And um, he tells Jesus, you know, Satan has authority. You guys know that in the Garden of Eden, Garden of Eden, God gave Adam authority. He says, you know, you, you're, he gave him authority, name the animals, tend to keep it. And when they sinned, they forfeited that. And so the Bible says now that Satan is the prince and power of the air. And so he comes to Jesus and say, hey man you know, I'm going to take you up to the pinnacle of the temple. I'm going to show you all these things. And then, then Satan digs into the Word of God. Since that's where you answer from, Satan says, I know the Bible too. And he says, won't you jump off the temple right here and let the angels come get you? Because he misquotes Psalm 91:11. He leaves out a section of the verse that says to keep you in all your ways, right? You know, God does have angelic hosts that look over us in the unseen realm and protect us, but it don't mean you can go do some foolishness and say, I'm I'm, I'm gonna jump out the building so my angel can get me. Watch, watch, you know, you'll be on the ground and the hospital will be coming to get you. And so Jesus said, look, you know, he's gonna answer him, it is written, you shall not tempt. We don't play games with God. But Satan is testing him here and he digs into the scriptures and he misquotes the scripture. This is what's important for us to know too is just as important as knowing. We need to know the word. I need to know it in truth, right? Satan knows the Bible. There are, and and I hate that it's this way, but there there are churches that, there are cults that take this book and just malign it and twist it and, and misrepresent it. And so there are people that are gathering somewhere today and being told things that aren't true from the Bible. That's happening right now. Satan's behind that. Every cult, Satan's behind. Every group that misrepresents the gospel, Satan is behind. Every group that's diminished Jesus from something less than God, is, is, he's behind it. And so here he, he digs into the Word of God. Satan's like, I know the Word. I'm, I'm going to just misrepresent it a little bit. I'll twist it a little bit. But he knows it. And so it's important that you know it for yourself. Uh, I try to encourage, you know, the people in our fellowship. We, we go through this thing. We read through the Bible every year. And I tell them, read it. Read read. You're you're not really qualified even to discern if if your only time hearing the Bible is when other people preach it. When have you you should spend time alone with God? God, speak to me through your Word. Give me clarity. I'm gonna read through this whole book and I'm gonna read it slow and prayerful and speak to me and show me things so that when you hear something bogus, you hear it and be like, that's not what it says. I know that book. I love my daughter was in a Christian school. My daughter uh, Harmony, she was in junior high. And her teacher, her Bible teacher, said something that she knew from her teaching that that ain't right. And so she raised her hand respectfully and she challenged the guy, which I told her, you can challenge anybody on this respectfully, even me. Right. And so she raised her hand, challenged the guy. He got upset and he got a little bit boisterous and loud. And then another kid was like, he had a verse. And then my daughter was like, I have two more verses. And then he went off on the kids. So she called me upset at break. I said, "Yeah, he got up I said, "Go to the principal, cause he's a Bible teacher. Tell and let's see what happens." And so I'm like, well, do "Hold your ground. Don't fold, you know." And she went <laughs> to him, and lo and behold, that guy was—they let him go that week. Um, one for holding the wrong position, but even not being humble enough to acknowledge it in front of these kids. And so. The blessing was, they called me and was like, hey, can you, can you teach the rest of this year, junior high Bible? I was like, I was her teacher the next week, you know? It was like, <laughs> praise God, you know? Um, but I loved, I told her, I said, don't ever, don't ever fold, you know? And, and she'll, to this day, she'll study something in her room and come out and be like, dad, what about this? And if, she, if the answer is not suffice for her, she's like, that doesn't really answer for me. Okay, well, then let's do one more again. Let me, let me have, give me a minute, I'll be right back, you know? But I'm like, don't lose that. 'Cause it's, it's you need to know it for yourself so you can live it, so you can obey it. Amen? Amen. And so Jesus responds in verse seven, he says to him it is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And Jesus said, Look, you don't you don't don't play games with God. But here's a temptation here. As Satan was tempting Jesus to, you know, to to jump off this 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 you know this the uh, jump off this building and throw himself down so the angels would you know, catch him or whatever. He was playing games with God. I mean, it's that's, that's kind of a fruitless thing. It's useless, but that's what Satan was tempting him to do. And Jesus responds, look, I'm, I'm not, the Bible says we don't play games with God. I don't, I don't tempt God. God's not to be played with. We, there's a reverence for the Lord. We don't just do things like that. This third temptation is one where Satan is tempting Jesus to try to have something before his time. Right? Jesus knows who he is, and he knows God's agenda and plan for him. Jesus the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? He's the the Savior of the world. He knows where he's going to end up. But right now, in his season on earth, he was here to be, he was here, he came to earth to suffer. And you and I can all praise God that he came and he was willing. I say willing, he was obedient to the point of death on the cross. He obediently suffered and died, and he came to earth knowing what he would go through. And I want you to consider this from eternity, Jesus is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They created the world in which we live, everything that's happening, but he knew he was going to come down to the earth he created and have people that he made challenge him. I want you to imagine the humility it would take. God had a mother. Jesus had a mom tell him what to do. I mean, just imagine Jesus Christ, and he just got mom married. Jesus, go clean up. Sweep that away, you know, and he obeyed, he did what they told him to do. He had humbled himself. I, when I read the stories of the Pharisees and they're trying to jam him up and they're asking him stupid questions and he's answering them politely, I'm thinking, I would have been a terrible Jesus. I would have just, man, I would just smoke two of them just because. Like, ask me that again, you know, ask me something dumb like that, man, you know, like, but he was humble and merciful and he entertained their questions and he answered them, Jesus, Right? And even at this point here, as he's here, I know he knew I will be glorified again, but I'm not being glorified. Right now, I'm not glorified. And so Satan hits him with that temptation, right? This is what he says in verse 8. This is the third and final temptation. It says, and again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me right? The Lord never, Jesus never protests that Satan couldn't give it. He is the prince and power of the air. He has some authority over these things right now. He says, man, look, I'll give you all this right now, right? Never, never, you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to die for people to be saved. Look, I'll give you glory now. I'll give you this stuff right now if you'll just bow down and worship me. And I would just say this. I know that many of us, I know that many people are tempted to have things out of God's timing, uh, where well, it's not time yet. It's going to be time eventually, but it's not time yet. Um, I got any single people? If you're single, raise your hand. Raise them high. Raise them high. Look around. So you see, All right, look around. Okay. So if you're single, obviously there's things that most people that are single intend to be unsingled at some point. Single people say amen. Amen. All right. So, <laughs> all right. So, and that's a good thing, right? God did that. God put that desire in us. God puts all that in us. That's all healthy and whole and everything else. So then we, ne- we, need, to, we need to let God do it God's way. Here's what happens, because I've seen it happen. I'll see a godly person over here waiting on the Lord, getting patient with the Lord, show up with somebody I would not marry them to. I've had it happen. This person, I know them, solid, waiting on the Lord. Then they show up with this guy. I ask them two questions. Brother don't know John 3.16. I'm like, well, how are he going to lead you? Where, where did you get him from? Why, did we, why are we here? Why did, we, why did you do this, you know? No, I will not marry you. You know, I won't do it. I, and that's, I won't do it. I'm not just going to do a marriage like that, you know? Um, and, I, you know, the thing is, if you would wait, 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 wait for God to bring a qualified person. If you're a believer, you need to marry a, a what? A believer. Everybody say that. i all say it like you know it. So if you're a believer, you need to marry another believer. You know, if you're a, a lady... Right, you're gonna be marrying a man who you're gonna to submit to his leadership. Then he need to be looking qualified to lead you. Amen. If you gotta lead him now, I mean, now he's not ready. He need to cook longer, baby. You know, he's not ready yet. You know, and so sometimes people want things out of order. There, I think there's a temptation in single life to want physical intimacy and physical love and those things before it's time, and that becomes a temptation in that realm where. All of that, God will say, wait on all of that. It'll be, there's a day coming where it will glorify me. There's a day coming where I will bring someone and it will be right and it will be what I have for you. And in, in the confines and the structure of marriage, I'm going to command you to do that, but not yet. Amen? All right. Y'all saying that week, but that's okay. So, um, so here's the thing. So there can be things that we want. It's not time yet. That's what Satan is hitting Jesus with here. He's saying, look, you can have it now. You can have a glory now, Not no cross. Glory without death, I'll give you that. And here's the thing for you and I, this would have been a, it would have been a sad day, right? Jesus, we, need, we needed Jesus to go to the cross for us, amen? And he knew that that's what he had come to do. And I praise God that he followed the agenda of the Father and that Jesus didn't get derailed by the enemy, that he wasn't taken off course. He came to do a job and he did it. He came to live the life that we couldn't live. He came to be perfect, holy, and sinless, that He could be the Lamb of God and take away the sins of the world. And He died in our place, perfect, holy, and sinless. Amen? Died in our place, took my sin, my shame, my guilt, my separation from the Lord. He took all that upon Himself. Then He offers to us, according to His grace, His perfect, holy, sinless life to you. Your wretched, jacked-up, dirty, sneaky life on Him. Your sins paid in full, you go free. That's what he did for us. But Satan here was saying, you don't got to go through all that, right? Never mind those people. Never mind them. Just get your glory. Get yours right now. That is is what Satan was tempting Jesus with here. And again, we can all be thankful that the Lord doesn't succumb to this or doesn't fall victim. And so Jesus answers him in verse 10, and he says, away with you, Satan, right? Right? Away with you, you shall worship the Lord your God, in him only shall you serve. Something else that we learn about Satan here, he says, just fall down and worship me. Satan always wants that which belongs to the Lord. You're going to read the verses that speak of the fall of Satan. It talks about how he had trembles and pipes in his very being, you know. And so there was a, a time when Satan, as an angel, he actually brought forth worship. He was in a position to glorify God, but then you have those I wills of Satan. He says, I will be like the most high. I will ascend. I will. He, he was no longer content to bring glory to God. He wanted it for himself. And then y'all know that God won't share his glory with anybody. And so Satan was removed. Boom, gone. And so here he says, hey, could you just worship me? If you would just fall down and worship me, I'll give you all this now. He wants desperately, always has and always will. He wants that which belongs to the Lord. And this is why, right? He wants you and wants me. We belong to the Lord. If you're here and you've been redeemed by Jesus and the the blood of Christ, you belong to the Lord. He wants you. He wants to derail you. That's why you get tempted. That's why things happen. That's why difficult things happen. Sometimes we get shook, right? That's what he would love, to derail you and take you off, off the plan. But that's where we have to be committed. Jesus is an example to you and I, right? He was committed to the Father's plan. And we need to be committed to the plan as well. Um, we have weaknesses. We have challenges and everything else. You know, the, the, the motto I get here from Jesus, how do I stay on track? I need to be a man that knows and obeys the Word of God. The Word of God is powerful. Um, you know, it's, it's, this, is, this, is, this is not a normal book, you guys. How many guys are readers? You guys read books. This is different than any other book you have ever or will ever read, right? Any other book you read is not living, It's not life-giving. You may read a great book, maybe inspired by a book, uh, but it's just a book. This is the book of books. It is living and powerful. It is supernatural in nature. It has a potential. It, the words in this book will save your soul. They will change your life. They will give you victory. The Bible says in Ephesians, this is like the sword of the Spirit. And so when, when the enemy comes, you're not just on defense. You could jab that fool, you know. So I'm not just like, stop, stop, stop. You know, I could, I could go on a tattoo and, you know, swap, whap, whap. You know, I'm taking ground too. And so everything we need, everything you need for life and godliness is wrapped up in your relationship with Jesus Christ. But the instruction that you need is in this book. Jesus said of himself, right, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14, he said, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so, you want to know Jesus, be in this book. Every page, he's revealing who he is, what he loves, what he hates, what he's into, every every page of every verse. I'm reading through books of the Bible that I won't even lie, I don't even enjoy them. I'm going through the minor prophets and I'm looking at Amos and, and I read in this judgment, and they're getting slammed for rebellion. I'm like, God, what this is, you know, this is a, a so long ago, a, a people from so long, a, a different covenant that they were under and all these things. But God is saying, But look at what you're learning about me, right? I hated that behavior. Right? I was gracious even in judgment. When they repented, I forgave them. Like, I'm still learning about him as I read about another group of people from a long time ago. And if you were faithful to them, God, how much more? Us. And and I realize as I understand that covenant, I come to the new covenant, realize how much better we have it. Right? They had to pay for their own sins. Jesus paid for mine. And um, and I'm forever thankful for that. And so Jesus responds to this third and final temptation. Um, Away with you, Satan. Basically, he's saying, beat it. He says, For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then verse 11 says, The devil, then the devil left him. Uh, Luke's gospel said he left into a, a, a more opportune time. And so says, so The devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. And this is what we know. There, this was, you know, Jesus was under attack for a season, and then it lifted, right? Uh, James tells us, If you resist the devil, what will he do? He will flee. He only going to hang out for so long, you know? Jesus responded to every temptation with the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. And so, I, I, visually, I just envision Satan just after so many times, he just said, okay, okay, fine, I'm going to go somewhere else where they don't know this, where they're not throwing swords at me and whatnot, you know? And so, um, we'll have seasons, you guys, of intense trial, intense testings, but it will lift. There's seasons, and God allows for seasons. God gives you everything you need to be, be, be victorious in those seasons, Uh, And then they lift and there are seasons of blessing and there are times of trial and challenge. It it, it goes back and forth in the life of the believer. And so um, I would like to really, as we wrap this up, challenge us, uh, challenge you guys that as we get the example of Jesus, he, he stood on the word of God. He knew it. He believed it, but he lived it and it granted him victory in his hour of trial. Again, this is Jesus in a state of weakness, being tempted by the devil himself. I don't think I'm a big enough deal to draw the devil himself. I'm, 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 I'm sure I'm dealing with some demons and some minions and whatnot, but, you know, he's dealing with the devil himself, but he's absolutely victorious as he stands on the Word of God. And so I want to just, I want to give you some verses. I want you to write them down for your notes, and then we're going to wrap up and close. All these in reference to God's Word and our, our relationship with it. How it should impact this. Write down 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Peter says, there is newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. There needs to be an appetite for the word of God. Anybody seen a newborn babe? Uh, my wife used to nurse the babies, and um, if you ever see the nursing baby, they just—they be like blindly just, oh, oh, you know, you know. My kids will stick; they'll catch a nose or a cheek or whatever, and they're just—they're just empty, looking for whatever they can get to start eating on, you know. But they're hungry, and um, God says, as newborn babes, desire my word like that. Right? Don't let this become some chore or some burden that you gotta spend time in the word. You don't gotta spend time in the word; you get to spend time in the word. Amen and that it might nourish your soul. Amen? And so write down Psalm 119, 105. It says, your word is, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. Right? A, a, a light and a lamp. A light gives step-by-step direction. A lamp kind of lights up a, a, a streetway. And so God says, my word, if you're, we walk in a dark world, and you guys need to be mindful of it. we live in a culture, the culture is dark, The culture's response to some of the stuff y'all are dealing with. It's dark. There's all these things around this. God says, Let my word be a lamp to your feet and a light into your path. In this dark world, where even people's solutions are wrong. God said, Let let my word light, let let you be guided and directed by the word. It's a lamp and a light. Hebrews 4:12 says the word of God is living and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. Right? It says the word is living. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides between soul and spirit, joints and marrow. But note this, you don't even know your own heart. The Bible says our hearts are deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? But it says the word of God is a discerner between the thoughts and intents of your own heart. When I don't even know how wicked I am, the word will expose me. The Word will let me know what I'm doing, and so it'll help you discern the thoughts and the intents of your own heart. Last one, and I'm going to close here. It says in James 121, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. Right? This word is living, it's powerful, it's able to save your souls. The word, the instructions for salvation are in this book. Amen? And so, as Jesus stood on the Word of God, was granted victory over his adversary, the devil, uh, you and I are, if you're a believer, you're at war. We're engaged in all sorts of battle. Some of it comes from within ourselves. Some of it comes from the wickedness of the world around us. Some of it comes directly from the enemy. But if we would be people that would stand on God's Word, we too would be victorious over each of these different things that come up in our lives. Amen? So, Father, I thank you for your Word this morning. I thank you, God, for uh, speaking to us, for revealing your truth to us, Lord. God, I pray you would help us to be people that not just know the Word, but that stand upon it. Lord, you know everybody here, the things that we're challenged with, the things that we battle and struggle with. And I pray, God, that you would grant us to be victorious as we take in the word, as we by faith believe it, and then Lord, as we live it out in obedience to You, give us strength where we're weak, Lord. And God, I pray You, but uh, even as we move into this week, I give us just a hunger and a thirst and an appetite for truth that's greater than what we had before we came in. We ask these things in Jesus' name, Amen.